I'm so happy to have supervising sound editor Tim Kimmel and sound designer Paula Fairfield to join me to talk about this last season eight of Game of Thrones. It may only be six episodes long, but it's, I don't even know how many minutes it is. Do you guys remember how many minutes? The it's last close to eight hours. I was going to say, it comes up pretty close to eight episodes worth. The fans have waited long enough to get to this point to uh, finally close the book on this wonderful show that both of you have been a part of for, I guess, Paula, you came on board around season three. Is that right? Yeah. And what about yeah. for you, Tim? Uh, same. We both got hired right around the same time for the same season. So to summarize for you, I guess, this journey, I, I, there's not anything quite like it. I haven't, I, I, you can't really compare it to any other show that in recent past. So for the both of you, what can you say to, about now that you've closed out before we started recording, you're saying it's like now we can talk about everything that's happened. What is it like for you being on, I guess, the viewer side and also being a big hand in this show to be done with this show, really? Um, I mean, it's been it's been an amazing journey. Um, there has not been another show I've worked on like it, not only as far as the, um, you know, the material of the show being so amazing, but the quality of people involved in the show from top to bottom, from the showrunners down to the assistants, everybody on the show was top notch, um, be it at their craft, but also as human beings. Um, so it was just amazing to be involved in such a project with such amazing people, not only just the sound crew, um, but producers and picture people and visual effects were all just each one of them that we interacted with. It was always just an amazing, you know, amazing team to be a part of. Yeah, I would echo that. I mean, I, I have never had an experience quite like this. And um, there's something very special about it. I was thinking about it today, how extraordinary it has been. I mean, for our team, for me, that I found just for our team, for our post-producer, Greg Spence, for the people kind of that, that kind of wrap around the sound process, it's been truly this beautiful collaboration. And we've kind of grown as a team kind of it's like become like I, I mean these guys are brothers and sisters to me now you know it's like and it's an extraordinary thing and we've all gone through our stuff over the years and everybody's kind of I don't know it's just they're, they're never there has never been anything quite like it and you know um I'm super grateful to have experienced it I don't know it's uh it's it's something else <laughs> Besides the two of you, you have a, a wonderful support system behind you of other sound designers, editors, Foley artists, dialogue, a team. Where did everyone work out of? Where was home base for everyone? Yeah, I mean, Formosa Group was the main sound studio that everything was done through. Uh, um, you know, Paula is is on her own independent company, but everybody else is contracted by HBO uh, through Formosa Group. So our mixers, Annalie Blank and Matt Waters, we, you know, we mix this at Formosa, myself, and then, um, you know, Brad Catone, our effects editor, two dialogue editors, John and Paul. Um, Foley Crew, you know, that's outsourced. Um, they're their own company. But really, for also, it's kind of the, the center hub for, uh, for the sound part of, uh, part of things. Season eight is uniquely different in the sense that, I mean, there's six episodes and, and they range like an hour and a half each. And so, so with the material and all the visual effects that they had to do for the season, was this season any differently handled differently than it has been in the past, or are there different considerations? Um, not I wouldn't say tremendously different. I mean, we've always handled this show somewhat like a feature. Instead of getting episode one and working on it, finishing it, and then going to episode two, we generally get the season handed to us. And you know, the earlier episodes are closer to being locked, and the later episodes are closer to being a director's cut. But we can start sculpting and seeing. You know, we we cue all the ADR for the entire. Uh, season and you know Paula gets started from the beginning because chances are the visual effects towards the back half of the season are nowhere near done so there's nothing worth doing there so you know on the effects side they you know start on the earlier earlier episodes but we generally treat it like a eight hour feature or ten hour feature um, so we deal with a lot of conforms and stuff like that so this season in theory, we didn't treat it too differently, but there was definitely a lot <laughs> more work to be done, uh, especially on a couple of those episodes. Uh, mm -hmm. When we spoke, it was uh, in 2017 at the Sound for Film event at the Sony when you guys had a panel that um, 
uh, we recorded. Uh, I remember at the time, Paula, there weren't many dragons that were really revealed. It was the first time that dragons had really been shown and featured, and, and it seems that almost every episode there's a dragon in this season. Uh, so handling that visual effects juggle, what do you appreciate about having more time to feature these these dragons? And what was different about the types of sounds that you were introducing to, to really highlight them? Well, in this season also, I mean, we started also getting all the whites and all that stuff. I mean, this was like a, 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 a freaking, like, I don't, I don't even know, man. It was a whirlwind of stuff. But, you know, and th- what was interesting over past seasons is that every year the dragons would get bigger. And so the sound design had to grow up. And this season from last season, uh, they didn't really get bigger. But the thing is, the sheer amount of screen time, the things we did with them and the range of emotion, which reached way beyond because we got to know Ray Gao. We never really knew much about him. He was one of the kind of crazy bros, but, you know, and he was here and there, but we never spent time on him. So I had to think about that. And we saw much more of the Viserion as uh, the ice dragon, the freaking air fight. Dear God. Um, <laughs> you know, and Drogon went, I mean, we saw a massive range for him, too. Plus, we lost Viserion again and Ray Gal, and then the whole thing that happened on, you know, on in the finale for Drogon. So it was like what I realized was like, oh my God. I mean, at first it was about, it was all about the wings for me initially, because I thought, holy jumping. I mean, we're flying around with them. They're flying over. They're flying, flying, flying all over the place. And so I kind of redid the wings this year in a different way. And it was completely. OCD and detail. It was kind of crazy um, thing to attempt to do, but I'm glad I did because they were ended up being a good feature in a lot of stuff. Sometimes you just, you know, we could use them to articulate things and they had to be much more detailed to be able to do that. So that was one thing. Um, but the sheer range as I started to tend more to the um, vocals as the visual effects came in, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> so I started to realize to tell, help tell the story, the extension of that palette had to be, I mean, really, I had to reach pretty far. And so it was just, you know, bigger and bigger and bigger and wider. And then the whole thing, I mean, my God, the long night with the whites and everything. I mean, that was a mass effort on everybody's part, but it was just, just constructing the movement of the army. And so you have this, you know, broad brush, which is millions and millions, an endless supply of cockroachy like whites. And yet as you burrow down into detail, you've got, you know, nasty ass skull creature, zombie faces chomping at the screen. You know, it's like from, do you know what I mean? Like it was just like these layers upon layers upon layers upon layers upon layers of, things to build all that stuff that came from all of us. I mean, it was a quite an extraordinary thing. And adding that on top of it, the weather from the White Walkers, which was yet another layer we dealt with in that one episode. It was just, I think for me anyway, it stretched me, it stretched me hard and far and an insane amount of work, but it was great. I mean, I think we all, you know, gelled as a team. I mean, because... Meanwhile, while we're all creating all this stuff, poor Matt and Anna have to somehow shape this into something coherent. And what they did, I mean, you know, and Tim on stage too, the three of those guys, I have such, uh, I'm in such awe of how it was sculpted so beautifully. Um, Each episode really being very defined and having such, I don't know, telling the story all in different ways. And, um, it just is a great, this season is a great kind of culmination of all of us working as this amazing team who support one another, mm-hmm. dig in, problem solve, do all this stuff, and really uh, are all wildly creative and, and everybody's in a right. And it's been pretty awesome. I'm pretty proud of everybody. One <laughs> <laughs> of the questions we had online, because we put it out to the internet and one of the questions from uh, Bo Jimenez asked, well, you know, what's the process for differentiating the dragon's fire breath between the undead, the White Walker one, and Danny's? Well, are there different considerations depending on 
who's uh, in charge? Oh, yeah. I mean, last year I had to deal with that and create the blue fire. And so it had its own complete palette because I anticipated, you know, I was trying to, I mean, in a series, you have to think ahead. If the series continues, it's like, where could this go? And when I saw the blue fire and I knew there was, a, you know, another season, you know, I was like trying to think of the worst scenario I could think of. And it was a battle between a live dragon and an undead dragon. So I had to, when I designed the fire, I was, and the body movements and the calls and everything, I was trying to anticipate something like that so that you could really pick it out. And luckily, luckily, because I gave it a lot of thought at the end of the year, I had created a, a really good palette of stuff that I think worked very well um, this year in that stuff. And I had to create a few extra stuff. But I had made a lot of stuff for last year because it was quite that whole burning down the wall thing was quite extensive. And I had created a lot of material for it. So it, it helped me out a lot this year because it was one thing I didn't have to think too hard about because I already had the material. Thank God. I wasn't sure until I saw everything because I was I was afraid. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, for someone in the position of trying to stay on schedule and when is picture finally locked how many days do you find that you i mean when did you deliver this season even even if it was coming in a different order um i mean it all came in in the same order the reason why we ended up out of order is we started to do some pre-dubs on episode three and we kind of powwowed you know myself and anna and matt and paula and said you know this isn't worth mixing yet there's so much material visually not there that you know, we could mix a five-minute section, and then we got a five-minute section that's useless. We said, let's, you know, then we talked to the post-producer about it as well, and he said, you know, let's, why don't we skip three and move on to four? Or it said, it's all great until I call my other editors and say, hey, when can you have four ready? <laughs> so, you know, um, you know, luckily they were a little ahead of the game, so we were able to to get there. Um, so, you know, it was, a, it, it was a matter of talking to everybody and saying, all right, what's the best, you know, the best method of attack on this? So, Skipping yeah. three and I mean, we skipped three, went to four, finished it. We were still looking at three going, well, we've gotten a lot more visual effects, but there's still enough holes. Let's go to five and let's at least attack the front half of five because there's not too much going on. So, you know, dialogue editors were done with that section of it. And effects editor was able to uh, get himself through it just in time to where we went on. We did the first half of five before then going back to mix episode three. And even by then, you know, we'd gotten a ton of visual effects in, but there were still, you know, those visual effects were coming in one after the other up until, you know, the last moment that they could. So we had, we had enough we could work with it, but it was still a tough organization on, on the dub stage to say, all right, this big section, let's attack it, let's get it into good shape, um, and then let's go on, you know, and then let's skip this next section because... You know, it was maybe say the dragon fight, you know, visually there wasn't enough there to make it worth, you know, Paul had done a lot of work on it, but it wasn't worth really attacking it yet because there was two shots that were, it was a not sure what's going on here yet. So it's a matter of keeping that kind of organized and, and uh, you know, we had to stay in touch with the post producer and, and visual effects and say, you know, when are we seeing this stuff? We've done this section, we've done this section. What about this other section? When will we see something that's, you know, a little more useful for us to start mixing to? Um, and it definitely, it bottlenecked. Um, <laughs> the only thing, even though it cost a lot of time on stage, was um, there were some music issues. I mean, Ramin is a phenomenal composer, but there were just certain things that uh, the showrunners wanted to try and try differently. So... We would then have to kind of take a step back with music, which kind of helped us because it gave us a little more time to then get some design work done and effects work done and you know really dial everything in. But it was a definite challenge of keeping things moving forward in whatever order they needed to just to, to stay productive. Yeah, I mean, I think we pre-dubbed the dialogue on episode six before we finished episode three or five. So you know, it was a, what can we, what can we do to stay productive? That's incredible. Um, one of the questions from Yasmin Hamza, uh, she asked, um, "How much onset audio is used versus ADR?" And and I, do you guys have any flexibility with with looping any any of your production? Oh yeah, I mean we loop a ton. Um, episode three, 
a good majority of that stuff, minus you know the scenes down in the crypt or anything like that, uh, had to be looped and not. You know, the production mixers we have on the show are amazing, but there's only so much you can do when you have a director yelling and you have these stuntmen who are whites who are yelling, um, and you've got wind machines and you've got snow machines and you've got a bunch of people running around. There's only so much you can do. Um, you know, we saved more than we expected to, but we did have to shoot a ton of ADR. Luckily, in episode three, there's not that much dialogue. So it's a lot of efforts and breaths. And I mean, I mean, there's a trade off. I mean, episode three is the long night, which is the, you know, the first, I guess, the the big battle. So just taking that episode as an example, how long is that whole sequence from top to bottom? Uh, well, it's an 80 minute sequence. So I'd call it what? 77 minute battle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's, it's and, you know, I think a lot of shows that might have had something like the, the Army of the, the Army of the Dead, the uh, the whites might have been smart and done a lot of those vocals and group and stuff like that. And we were, uh, you know, we did so much more processing and tweaking to it to, to make it its own beast that unfortunately all those vocals had to be hand cut one by one. Uh, but, uh, Paul and I over the years have had to split, you know, split duty yeah. on who who could handle it who who was uh sane enough at the moment to try and deal with it because it was yeah <laughs> i mean and it was kind of funny i mean i think we just kept doing passes right it's like yeah. i would take i would go through a pass i mean it was very similar to the debris and 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 five it's like mm. you know you know someone would do a pass and then someone would do another pass and hit another round because more vision because the other thing that kept happening was they kept adding more and more whites. It's like, yeah. wait, that guy wasn't there before. Hold on. What you know? Yeah. So we'd have to keep kind of doing it. And then there was also the creation of just the general overall waves and movement. And so there was just like dial down from of that's what I was saying of the layers. It was crazy. But all the stuff that you had in, in a certain kind of like mid to mid distance to complete foreground all of that stuff had to be hit and and you know i i tried to go through and catch as much stuff as i could but then i had to move on to dragons and also the visual effects kept coming in so tim was like on stage he kept nailing nailing all the dots in as they came in and but that was kind of a cool process because it was like you know, we, we literally, I mean, for me anyway, I just found myself going pass after pass after pass and filling in as we go and filling in as we got more detail. And it was a way, I mean, we slowly, it would slowly take shape, you yeah. know. Um, and it was a good way. We had more than one set of eyes on it. Um, Tim and I would be constantly back and forth. Hey, did you catch this? What about that? You guys got this? You good there? Do you need a bit more stuff? whatever you know sometimes i'd get an idea some <laughs> wacky idea because i had no sleep i don't know and i would you know try some stuff out you know to help because it also was like so much stuff you don't want to get tired of listening to the same old thing so it's like what can we do here to shift how you're hearing something what you're listening to what the focus is to try to constantly i mean that's the other the other thing was to weave this um Change, constantly changing palette of sounds and textures and that goes through a lot i mean a lot of them definitely three and five were like that but in completely different ways you know but it was always about shifting so you wouldn't the the viewer wouldn't get you know fatigue on something and because when when you start to get fatigue on it you start to kind of you know uh uh, kind of tune it out in a way and you want to constantly be shifting and changing and keeping interest up and stuff. So it really was this delicate dance constantly of thinking of new things to add, looking at the visuals, seeing what they're popping in and then constantly filling, filling stuff in so that Matt, uh, Matt and Anna both had, had all the textures and stuff to continue to form and shove stuff through the music or, you know, whatever was going on. You know? I was looking at just the directors. You have David Nutter, Miguel uh, Spadnik, and then uh, you know David Benioff and DB Weiss, who are handling this last season. You have a group, four different directors throughout a season. How do you manage kind of keeping track of who's in charge of what and where the no like a, a, a notes and revision system? Like, what's the best way to describe that management? I mean, 
like a typical television show. The directors are not too involved in this once they've done their cut. Okay. Um, you know, we might see notes that they've given, but to be honest, I've only met Miguel or David Nutter in passing and never in a, you know, sit down, let's, let's talk. Um, and I know Paula has worked with Miguel on a bunch of pre-design for this season, but you know, in general, really it, it's DB Weiss and Dave Benioff who, that's who I spot the show with. That's why I bounce ideas off of. That's who Paula will bounce ideas off of. And also Greg Spence, the post producer. I mean, he's kind of the go between where, we do as much with him, and then he signs off on it before it then you know is seen by by Benioff and Weiss. Uh, you know they have too much to too much stuff to look at. We can't you know they don't need to micromanage. Uh, you know for the most part, you know we watch the sh- I watch the show with them at first and talk about it, and then the next time they see it is generally after we've mixed it, and you know they'll give us notes then. How many notes can they give you? How much time do you have after that kind of stage then? Typical episode, um, we will usually, you know, once we've mixed it and we've played it back for ourselves and feel it's in really good shape, we'll play it for them that morning. Um, they'll give us notes. They'll leave for four or five hours as we address their notes, and then they'll come back and we'll play all the spots where we did those tweaks, and if they're happy, they sign off on it, and we're done in that day. Uh, episode three was a bunch of back and forth, I and mean, we brought them in during the mix to say, Here's the first 30 minutes. Are we on target with where this wants to go? I mean, episode three was really their biggest. That was their baby. They wanted that thing to shine. I'm sure that's the one they're submitting for Emmys all over the place and all categories. So they wanted that one to just be as perfect as it could be for them. So they 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 were way more involved in episode three coming into playback, you know, sections of it. Is the music working? Is the design work? Is everything working together? Um but generally, it's really just a day of sitting with them with the mix, and their notes are, for the most part, on the sound side, pretty minimal. Um, it's really rare for them to have a rework of any sort. It's really a, I can't hear this line. Can we get a, a better read on it or something more clear? Can you clean it up? Or music is too loud here. Pull it back. Turn the effects up here. But it's you know, it's really rare for them to say that dragon roar isn't what I'm looking for or something like that. I mean, they're. It's it's already been established at that point, right? Uh, yeah, but they're constantly changing. But I think the thing is, we at this point kind of know what they're doing and have learned an attention to storytelling that jives with their vision because we've been working with them and understand in a way the story they're trying to tell. And once you get that, I mean, you know, I will try lots of different things and I'll offer up all kinds of wacky stuff along with, you know, cause I'm constantly trying to search for stuff, but you know, it's a, I mean, it's still along the kinds of ideas that I know that they're searching for. And, and I also have learned to give it in, in ways that it's can be mixed in a bunch of different ways. They can shape it and work with music. I mean, three was this insane thing that was such a subjective and trippy trippy episode in some crazy way i mean that run-up that initial run-up of the whites i mean how many different ways did we attack that you know and it was the thing i met with miguel and tim porter the editor with i happened to be in belfast and i was in europe and i want to go belfast because i hadn't gone to visit the set and been able to and it was the last opportunity so i popped in and happened to run into Miguel, and he was like, you have to come here, you have to look at this. And I wa- remember watching the episode, and it was running at like 92 minutes at the time. And I was like, I like literally couldn't speak for three hours after. I couldn't, and it was really roughed in, but I thought, oh, dear God. And I had a, a long kind of talk with them about what their idea was for it, and it was very interesting, but they were trying to sell it, this long, slow, open, this like dreaded, wait you know and and to try and figure out how that was and and we had this odd situation where we had established kind of the rules of the whites and how they vocalize but now we had this situation where there's a standoff and they're quite a distance away what do you do about that and then is there you know we talked about the concept of is there a sound that millions and millions of whites make when they're all together like how does that end up being and how we can do it and so you know I stretched and tried to figure out lots of different things and in the end 
you know, back and forth with music and whatnot, you know, I mean, it really was, I mean, we tried lots of different ways to form it. And, and I mean, I think in the end they found the kind of feel that really worked for them and told the best story and, and it's fabulous, but it's funny how, I mean, my God, how many times we ran at that thing you know, to try and find the right flavor, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, what was tricky was from what I saw, um, Miguel's ideas on it and Benioff and Weiss's ideas were a little different. Yeah. I wanted to hear them a lot more out in the distance and, you know, showrunners had the opposite opinion. So, you know, it, it got more minimal and more minimal as time went on. Yeah. To stuff was playing out there pretty quietly and really subtle and we ended up using silence you know music came down and at one point it's just a little bit of wind and you could hear the armor movement of a little people of the people around you yeah. and you know we only kind of sprinkled in some distant whites in certain spots that they wanted until you know till the dothraki go charging at them and all of a sudden there they are yeah because the original pitch was we hear this horror in the distance mm-hmm and that's the thing. But it was interesting how silence ended up being. But, you know, the thing was, we had to build all kinds of stuff. I mean, I spent a huge amount of time building all kinds of crazy ass things that we could try to see how we could work it. Because the problem was we never established something from a distance like that before. So what were they, you know, were they fighting amongst themselves in the distance? Were they attacking other, like trying to figure out what the logic of that would be in some ways? And also what was the most effective? And in the end, you know, the silence, of course, is deafening and the worst looking into darkness and hearing nothing. But, you know, they're there in some, you know, and, and I think I think where it arrived was great. But it was um, it was a lot to get there. And it just kind of goes to show you, I mean, everybody is trying. It, it was so, such a subjective thing to try and find something that kind of worked for everyone or work to tell that story was a was an interesting it was an interesting process for sure is that something that evolved on the stage how did that evolve in, in the sense is just everyone kind of figuring out the last minute or it really did evolve on the stage i mean you know we had everything built and if you listen to their temp tracks that they had created it was a lot busier um, so we started to lean that way on the first pass of it and then when when david and dan came in and took a look at it they said no 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 we're really wanting to dial it down and at one point, we dialed it down even more. Uh, music used to drop out earlier, and it used to go silent for a really long time. You know, because they really liked the idea of silence. But at one point, it was a okay, this is quiet for too long. You know, we extended the music farther. You know, we were able to get Ramin to kind of write the score so it went a little farther along. Uh, but it really it was something that you know took shape on the stage over time. And some of it had to do with the visuals, too, because like the early visuals, you couldn't. I mean, you know, the mock ups and stuff, you could never really anticipate what it was we were going to see slash not see, you know, and that also played a big role because they were sort of shifting. I mean, they were finding their way to in some ways, we're all finding our way to the story Mm -hmm. to try to make this the most effective approach, because. You know, it wasn't a bunch of them. It was millions of them, and it was endless. You know, it's like how do you, how do you, how do you define that? How do you, how do you do that? You know, and sometimes it's not louder. Sometimes, you know, sometimes, and I've said this a million times too. Just in the creative process, when you're stuck with it, go the opposite, and to go to silence when you know there's like. You know, millions of them, like however many, you know, a mile away or whatever. Dear God. I mean, it kind of it was cool, you know. There's also the moment when obviously uh, they take the dragons up above the clouds. And there's oh. a, it's a it's a, mo- a great moment because it allows the audience to, like, breathe and get away yeah. from however long 30, 40 minutes has been a stretch. So it's a really beautiful uh, moment because I can imagine that there's a lot of um, motion with winds and whatnot, which mm-hmm. uh, you guys deliver this in a 5-1 mix, but a lot of people are going to be experiencing uh, potentially in stereo. Um, so what can you say, like, what are you doing in your surround fields that maybe people should check out, you know, when, when this um, comes out? I mean, we mix it, actually, we mix in 7-1 and then and then uh, um, crash it down to a 5-1. Uh, and the seven one is used because they also then do an Atmos up mix of the of it afterwards for the uh, DVD. 
Um, you know, surround stuff is mainly atmospheric. Um, we're not too crazy on panning on this show. Um, you know, we do some movement if the dragon's coming from behind you and overhead and all that. We'll do stuff, but we don't want to do too much with it. Uh, the showrunners hate if you're ever if it ever does anything to draw your head away from the screen, then you might be missing out on what's happening. So, you know, we're pretty careful on on the use of the surrounds in the show. So it's for the most part, it's more atmospheric. Though, yeah, we do have fun with that dragon, you know, coming from back right and coming overhead and, uh, yeah. and making its appearance. <laughs> Is it a 7-1 mix? Yeah, I mean, we're, we do it in 7-1. Uh, we do have near-field uh, stereo speakers set up that we will, you know, usually once a sequence is into a spot that we like it, we will then put up the, the stereo speakers and listen to that crash down and say, how is this going to sound on someone's stereo speakers? And see, you know, see how it's working there and say, oh, you know what, the as big as that sounded in 7-1, you know, it, it loses some of that low end when you go to the stereo speakers. So we'll... You know, Matt, a lot of times will ask, hey, can you cut me a kind of mid to low sweetener for this so that it'll still give that size on the stereo speakers? It, it seems like this season was, especially especially episode, episode three, The Long Night, technically, I've never heard such an outpouring of people, you know, who are aware of, I think it was more on the visual side. It has never been a mention of sound, which which is nice. It, it seems that people technically are aware of the quality and the experience that you guys are delivering. It, it seems like you guys go to the amazing effort to put together your best work and then you're at, kind of at the mercy of how it's being delivered. I mean, there's some, some other workflow considerations. Uh, definitely. I mean, because unfortunately a lot of people are watching this on an iPad or an iPhone on headphones. Um, so they're not really getting the greatest experience of it. Um, you know, so we do have to take that into consideration. We know that where we're watching it on the mix stage is probably the best it's going to sound to anybody. Uh, I don't think there's too many people who take our mix, you know, take it and put it up on some other mix stage somewhere else. Um, I mean, I do know a couple people that have Game of Thrones parties on another dub stage, but it's pretty rare. Um, so, I mean, we do have to take into consideration of how is this going to sound to, you know, 95% of the public who are watching it on you know, out of TV speakers or on an iPad with iPad speakers or headphones or whatever. So, you know, we we do keep those things in mind when we're mixing it. But in the end, you know, the showrunners are only going to listen to it on that 7-1 in that environment. So it's got to also sound amazing, you know, in that environment as well. Mm. Paula, what, what new um, new sounds were you um, tasked with for this season? Stuff that you you haven't had a chance to to use in, in other seasons will, will, will there other opportunities to go out and create new creatures or new environments for the season at all well it was just the i mean i think the biggest thing was just the kind of concept of you know moving millions of bodies and having that feel of the waves and stuff i th that was the thing i kind of i think freaked me out the most to try to figure that out i ended up building a whole bunch of passes and layers and layers of stuff i had uh, with sound particles and um, because you can create these movements of stuff. And I had gone through and made libraries of all the vocals, of lots of running feet, of lots of bone runs, of, you know, all this stuff, of dying vocals, of different things, and tried to create all this um, for side to side movement, whatever, all these kind of, just these waves, you know, um, to get the feeling that there was just an endless supply of them. So that that was one of the hardest things. I mean, a lot of it was, um, you know, in terms of what I used, I mean, I, I did extend the palette for the dragons and the different things that went on. And I ended up using some really interesting animals and really key points this year, for instance, for Drogon, uh, when he gets, you know, shot out of the sky. Um, you know, I had recorded down at White Oak um, Conservatory in Florida, which is, uh, you know, they have endangered, critically endangered and, and extinct in the wild species. And they have rhinos and um, but they also had Mississippi sand cranes. So I used that, you know, that is this, this wild screech because, you know, while the Syrian came down in a certain way, 
um, you know, this had to be different. This had to sound unique in, in a way, and it also happened in a very different way. So that was one um, also for the um, very extended, sad, um, oh my God, my mommy's dead scene with Drogon um, and all his pushing with his nose and the sniffs and stuff. I had um, had a record, I've been <laughs> recording um, some uh, grizzly bear cubs that are being rehabbed at um, Cochrane Ecological Institute um, outside of Banff in Canada. And we put a uh, recorder in their hibernacular for the winter. And so I have hours and hours of the bears snoring, sniffing. I even have an epic, one of the <laughs> most epic bear farts ever with this like absolute like expression of uh, pleasure following. It's a, such a funny sound, but the, um, and also some really epic bear shakes. So the sniffs and the shakes, which I used and kind of modified it because Drogon kept shaking a lot in that episode. It was funny. He shook out of the snow. He shook in between the fire things and stuff. He shook as he stood up. So I had to come up with something for that. So just stuff like that. And um, so using those, so I've had to introduce kind of other kind of elements. And it was, it was really, uh, I mean, it really helped a lot. It, it was, they were quite wonderful to work with. And, uh, you know, it was just sort of this endless search for stuff to express the emotion in those beasts. Um, that was the biggest thing, as I said, it was just extending that palette. And then, you know, Drogon's epic, you know, scream to the sky was something that I took a couple of runs at because to just get it so that it was just absolutely heartbreaking. Um, so, yeah, there were some massive challenges. They were just bigger, 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 you know. Something about episode five, which uh, the bells, which is that epic just destruction. Yeah. Um, yeah. I imagine that a lot of that, knowing how big the set was now and understanding how much of it was CG, how did that episode come together for you guys? Because it, it has the first confrontation and then it kind of just, you know, when Daenerys decides that she's going to destroy the whole town, how did that episode evolve for you guys? And, and what did you find was the right, once again, a big battle that, that went on for, I'm not sure how long, maybe it was, what, 30 minutes, 40 I don't know. About 40 minutes, yeah. Yeah, 40 minutes. So what what can you say about that episode that would sell? It's it's a tragic, just so much death, so much horrific visuals. So how, how did that episode come together? Um, I mean, that's another tricky one that, you know, when we first got it, visually it was missing a lot um, as far as debris and everything goes. You know, a vast majority of that debris, of course, uh, for safety reasons, is all uh, visual effects added after the fact. So, you know, we were doing more of the battle stuff um at first you know more of the the combat the the sword the hand-to-hand -hand sword sword combat and all that and then we got that first real passive visuals and went you know uh, holy shit um <laughs> one so we actually brought in another effects editor uh to help us a lot with the the debris and the destruction and you know that was a tough task because it's you know 30 to 40 minutes of that happening and you need to feel it Growing, you need to feel it. Uh, you know, as the town is getting worse and worse and falling apart more and more, but also needs to be. You know, you need to still be able to hear the dialogue and hear everything else going on. So it was a tough, a tough balance of of creating that and feeling it, but not getting in the way of everything else going on. Um, and then, of course, even once they were done with their pass of it, um, you know, Paula did more. You know, she gave more life to the buildings uh, coming apart and coming down, and then. Um, as we got more and more visual effects, I kept having to deal with more. Okay, there's four more big boulders falling in the back. I don't, now this part of the building falls apart. Um, you know, kind of chasing every time we got a new picture, watching it down and saying, okay, look, look at this spot, and there's debris here and debris there. Um, you know, keeping that, keeping all that in there. There's that incredible battle uh, that happens in the the stairwell, which. <laughs> How do you articulate just the danger? Like, what? Because especially in that one, it seems like there's a lot of danger overhead. This this tower is falling apart. Mm -hmm. So, how how did you guys help articulate that in the tracks? Um, well, you know, Paula hit that first one first because that's the dragon that takes off the top of that uh, tower. So, yeah. you know, she she created just that massive fireball dragon roar and building starting to crumble. Um, you know, to really kick it off, and then just keeping keeping Drogon present. 
um, you know, hearing him still flying around and knowing that, you know, even though we're so keyed into our two main characters fighting, you know, could there could there be a point where the dragon gets involved? Because we're still hearing it. You know, we see it a couple of times go by and we hear it, um, you know, keeping that tension alive um, and keeping the, you know, the build the building was its own character, uh, keeping the building coming down and, you know, hearing it but not letting it get in the way that was a tough balance because there was so much debris happening and if you focus too much on debris you're not going to hear the fight that's going on so we had to you know at times tailor back even though you're seeing massive boulders falling you're it's more important to be hearing you know a stab or a grunt or, or the grabs and the throws and the land landings and all that kind of stuff so it was a tricky balance i mean matt matt waters did a phenomenal job of of sculpting those those scenes Oh, yeah. 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 And it's also about thinking about layers and textures, like how many different things, again, to vary it. So, you know, so we, you know, you think about it, you've got boulder, big, gigantic boulders, you've got smaller boulders, you've got dust. And then one of the things I had was thinking about was um, along the lines of, of course, the building cracks and all that stuff, but that there were these dragon heads, the essence of dragon in the basement and adding creaks in certain places that just moaned, like the building moaned as though it was like old dragon energy or something. So, but again, it just gave it a, kind of another texture to play with. Um, you know, you have to think about that kind of stuff to kind of keep the interest and be able to sprinkle around and also to be able to like, you know, Matt, you know, if you watch those scenes, the way he would push something in and like slightly out in the background to be able to pull something else forward. And all those things have to be in many, many layers is sort of the trick to be able to give the flexibility to sculpt around, you know. So, the, I mean, for me and, and I, I know, you know, for all of us, we're all looking for these kind of sonic opportunities that will allow, you know, different kinds of layers that not only play to what we see, but allow things to be subordinated to other things to kind of shape around things like dialogue, that thing that we have to deal with. <laughs> There's the, the last part of that episode is when, you know, Cersei and Jamie are, are now in, in the, the bowels of the structure there. And uh, we assume that they're going to live, but of course, that's not the case. They, they can't escape just this tower falling apart. So are there ever moments when I, I guess there's direction or not direction in the script of the tone? Because to me, it's there's no big battle. There's no real way, way to sell that, you know, this is an honorable death, whatnot. Like, so how do you guys for a moment like that, where basically we're killing two main characters? How does you handle a scene like that? It just seemed to me that it, it kind of leaving it to the imagination of the audience through sound. Um. Yeah, I mean, that one, you know, when we first spotted the episode with, with the showrunners, visually nothing was going on. Um, you know, all that's visual effects, obviously, of, of everything that's happening. Um, almost all the debris down there was, was all added after the fact. So, you know, it was a conversation of, all right, how is, you know, what's happening above and how do you want this to be? You know, do we want them to feel like they might have a chance of getting out? So do we, you know, I think we kept it a little bit subtle at first. We we're hearing a little bit of distant bumpy boom activities and such but you know then they wanted to feel at first like okay we might have a chance until you know they round that corner and look and everything's blocked and then it was a okay you know first let's focus on them you know and then once we once they've done their thing it's a now we need to feel that this thing is about to come apart so it was you know it had to be sculpted and you know we got some direction from them but for the most part they gave us a quick description of where they thought it would go and then we go with it and, and do our thing with it and uh, Matt and Anna mix it and uh, and we played it for them. And I don't, if I remember correctly, they did not have a note in that sequence. Um, I think we, I think we hit the mark on that. That's good. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's what you hope for. Yeah. yeah. I would say it was, I mean, it, it's definitely, it's, it's a tricky sequence on how to play it. I mean, there's, you know, there's definitely, definitely different ways to play it. Um, but you know, we really wanted to focus on the two of them. I mean, that was their moment. So you, even though everything is crumbling around them, you need to have a moment of you don't really focus on the crumbling. You focus on the two of them and you hear them, you know, their intimate conversation with each other. And then you can go back at the very end to, OK, let's hear a crumbling and let's uh, unfortunately knock out two of our biggest characters. Yeah. <laughs> so 
just focusing on this last episode, the Iron Throne, which to me, all, all I could do is I kept looking back at how much time was left in the episode. And I'm just like, I don't know how they're going to do this. There's so much, so many questions I want that I want to be answered. And yet, um, when the episode starts off, it's a very delicate scene of Tyrion Lannister looking. That's when he goes and wants to find Jaime and Cersei in the ruins of the Red Keep. And it's a wonderful, beautiful, quiet moment of just his footsteps for, I don't know how long, but when you saw this scene, what was the first kind of approach? Was there ever music in it or was it always meant to be quiet? Uh, there was never music, but at one point they had a lot of designy type stuff that we, you know, luckily they weren't thrilled with, you know, um, uh, and it wasn't wasn't our style on this show. Um, just kind of rumbly, whooshy kind of stuff, a little too dreamy. And they wanted to play a little more real, a little just more stark and hearing distant buildings, you know, still crumbling a little bit and just hearing a little bit of that. But they want it to be, you know, most of this town is dead. Uh, they want it to just feel quiet. So you just hear a little bit of his breaths and his footsteps as he's walking through town, you know, you hear a little vocal from the guy who walks by and a little vocal from the guy in the rumble who's, you know, got his head in his hands crying and everything. But uh, for the most part, it was just keep this, keep this star, keep this uncomfortably quiet. Um, you know, unfortunately, there was a sound in there that we had that I really liked that uh, they had us take out at the last second, which was what a was bummer. That? Uh, when he rounds the corner and he's walking by the bell, we had created this kind of wind through bell. It was really subtle, but you heard the tone of the bell really quietly, like the wind was going through it. Um, and unfortunately, they found it distracting and they made it out. So those are the things that you wish you, you wish. Uh, and I think even Paula, I'd seen that you'd mentioned about this Aztec death whistle that you'd yeah. used. Yeah. So tell me the, tell me the story about that. Cause it's, it's like, you're saying same thing with you, Tim, it's a subtle thing. There's a thought behind, you know, why you want this sound there, but mm -hmm. sometimes those things don't happen, but I obviously like this Aztec whistle made its way in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's um, it's cause I, I, I wanted to add something kind of along the lines of this, uh, the concept of the blue fire, which also had, you know, its own kind of, um, I don't know, thing added to it. You know, you have this throne that it has been there that, you know, lives have been lost. Um, thousands of lives have been lost. I mean, there are the swords, you know what I mean? So it was a, this historical piece. Um and I wanted, I always wanted, as soon as I saw it, I wanted to find something. I wanted to put either shrieks in it or screams or something. And, but I, you know, it's one of those things that you want to, it's like, uh, you kind of more want to feel it. You don't want to hear it so much because it, it's like too much, but you want to feel it. And I am, a, I'm a huge believer, of course, in, just that kind of unconscious, almost primal um, experience when when you're there's a sound buried in something and, and it, it kind of touches you uh, unconsciously, I guess, as you watch a scene. So I had always thought that and while I was putting the scene together, for some reason, I don't even remember how it happened, but I stumbled upon these Aztec death whistles, which I'd never had heard of before, but I was listening to some stuff and they're literally known as the scream of a thousand corpses. And I thought, my God, <laughs> what an awesome kind of idea. And so I, I got some from, um, uh, God, and I can't remember. I would have, Oh, they're called Aztec death whistles. They're on Etsy. And, um, they, uh, they make these beautiful. So they're also gorgeous objects. And I was like, I fell in love with them and I thought how amazing. So I ordered four of them. They all sound different and recorded a bunch of them and created, I put some a uh, little bit kind of in um, a couple of the fireballs and some of the melting, but the main place that you can really hear them is on the back of the throne in the close up, just as you see the uh, things melting, there's this kind of shriek that happens. It's almost like a release of, the, of all the souls that have fought and died for the throne. It was just kind of this, this concept. And again, it's not something that as you watch you might even be aware of it just has something is in there. Um, it gives interest. And I like always have something very tight conceptually. It just, 
I don't know. It just makes me feel good that there's an internal internal logic to it. So I was really thrilled um, to find that it was just when I was working on it. it was kind of kind of one of those neat things that happened. And those are those nice moments when you can actually do more than just kind of react to what picture is telling you. You can actually do a little more conceptual, which is maybe easier to say that than than when you're tired and exhausted under a deadline. And you know, but it also, but sometimes it gives me comfort because it helps me if I have a good concept and it's tight. It helps me choose the sounds, you know. And I wanted something that would fit in the fire that wasn't like screams. Real screams were like um a little too edgy or something they weren't sitting in i was trying a couple of different things and i found these they had like softness but they there's a shriek and so it's almost flamey flamey shrieking it was kind of cool and um um so yeah i mean it was it's a tiny moment but it i think it kind of expresses something about what's going on which is for me when i'm trying to do sounds i always try and find stuff like that if possible that just it just makes it kind of i don't know just I don't know. For me, it just, I find it a little bit more fulfilling. So. Yeah, something for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what can you say now if you were to go back to your, yourselves back in when you started in season three, what would you tell yourselves? What, what's the takeaway? What's the perspective that you now have on all this amazing storytelling that you guys have been part of? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I definitely have to say I'm glad that we started with season three and finished with season eight because <laughs> it luckily grew every season. And, and you know, those season yeah. three was a tough one. Uh, that was my first one on it. Um, you know, it was nice to see how it how it grew and how battles got larger um, as as time went on. Uh, advice to give my 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 younger self. <laughs> hmm. That I don't know, to be honest. Uh, good friggin' luck, I guess, would probably be my advice I would give myself. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, the thing I find, too, is that what people are capable of doing, they never fully understand what they are until until it's over with, until they've gone through it and they can look back. And I, I definitely can under not ever having an opportunity to work on a project of this size. I can, there's nothing quite like it. You can never prepare yourself like I'm sure you guys have done. So I just imagine that as time goes on, there might be more takeaways. Yeah, I mean, for me, I would say, you know, keep going, you're going to get there. You know, like, and that applies to like a whole bunch of things in my life that have occurred to this. And, and I think it's true. It's like, I think the thing is, is like to trust yourself to keep growing, to keep open to the people you're working with. Um, uh, you know, it's, I mean, yeah, I, I agree with Tim. If we had seen season eight when we came on, I don't know. I think I probably would have curled up in a ball and, <laughs> <laughs> on the floor and never gotten up again. But, um, you know, it just, it just goes to show you, I mean, it's just, it, it you know, you just, just kind of keep growing, you know, it's, uh, and keep reaching, you know, I mean, the show did, and we did, you know, and it's, uh, I mean, it has been an extraordinary journey, extraordinary. Yeah. How long has it been now that you guys have, when you wrapped, when you did your final deliverable, what was the time period between then and when this season <laughs> played? What was it? Two weeks ago. <laughs> I was going to say, it was. two, weeks, two weeks tomorrow will be, um, we oh, went tomorrow. back, yeah. it, yeah. It was it was three it was three weeks ago, Paula, that you were there. That yep. we went back in for one final shot um, two weeks ago. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't for, know that. for a shot that ended up not really changing much. It started to change. They literally threw us three different versions of the shot, where one version needed a lot more sound and one ver and the other versions didn't. So we created. I created a lot more sound for it, and then they ended up going with the picture version that didn't need much more sound. <laughs> um, but what was interesting was we, you know, we tweaked it a little bit, tweaked a little bit, and then uh, Dan Weiss uh, said, "Well, that's the last decision we ever have to make on this show." And you can just kind of feel like, kind of a like him emotionally processing. He was like, "We're done. Like we've made all the picture decisions. Now we've made the final sound decision." Like to, that was his final rap moment of like, "I'm done," and you could kind of feel like, you know. They were still processing it. We kind of took a deep breath. We all gave hugs and, you know, they went on their way. But it was definitely an interesting, 
interesting to watch that. You know, we've been on it for six or seven years. They've been, they started, we asked them, it's been 13 years since they started writing the script for the pilot. So this was a 13-year journey for them. So watching them kind of wrap this up emotionally uh, was an interesting little extra. Um, you know, I watched I watched Dave Benioff right before he left. He looked back over at the screen, kind of took a deep breath, and obviously kind of processed a little bit a little bit before he walked out of the room and you know moved on to the next chapter of his life. It's an, it's an incredible aspect of of these the work that that you guys do is that it, it has a, a very emotional connection to, I mean, you go in and you want to work on great projects. You don't really know what that project is going to be. That's going to have such an impact on your life. And not only being 48 hours after the last episode is played, I think people are still trying to kind of understand what the journey was like. And I can imagine being on your side of the table of being creatively involved just has a completely different relationship. Lastly, what has it been like to share this now with your friends now that it is out and we can talk about it? What's the response like? What does it feel like now to see everyone else experience this? Uh, well, my phone blew up within five minutes of uh, the finale being done, uh-huh. which, I mean, it kind of blew up every Sunday night. Uh, yeah. Questions and, and critique and, you know, praise and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, it's been good. Most of the people I've talked to have really enjoyed it. So that's nice. Um, you know, some have questions of, you know, I thought it might have gone this way, but this was interesting or that. Um, you know, there's been a, a lot of negative feedback on the Internet about the season, which I've seen. I've been trying to avoid, um, you know, I know people have their expectations and if they weren't met exactly, they've been critiquing it quite a bit. Um, you know, for the most part, people I've talked to who are generally honest people, you know, said they like the season. There are certain things that they you know, said might have they might have thought it would have happened differently. But I, most of the feedback I've gotten has been extremely positive, you know, story-wise, picture-wise, sound-wise. You know, people enjoyed this. You know, they were – and they also, you know, I think this week are having trouble realizing uh, – There's no more Sunday night no more, Game of Thrones. There's no next week. I mean, that was <laughs> – what's funny is that was – when I saw – I saw the first cut of the finale last September – and I literally hit the end credits of it and thought, okay, I don't know how to feel. One, I don't know how to feel about this episode, and not because of the quality of the episode, but because I'm usually waiting to know, okay, cool, what happens next? And now I don't get to ask that question anymore. And also, I had nobody I could talk to about it because nobody else I knew had watched it. Nobody on the crew had access to it yet. And, you know, I don't generally talk to the producers about that kind of stuff. So it was about two months before somebody else saw it. Oh, man. Another conversation with somebody. So I had two months of, I know how the biggest show on television ends and I can't talk to anybody about it. <laughs> That's the burden you carry. Yeah. <laughs> Paula, what about Paula, what about you? Um, yeah, it's a crazy, I mean, it's a crazy thing. I've had, you know, I've had uh, a lot of good feedback about it. Same. And. You know, I've been saddened, I guess. I guess I hoped that people on the internet, like there would, like the negativity um, I have found, I've struggled with because you want, I mean, we do this so people have a place to go to relax and be entertained and get swept away by something. And it's just, I just it get, it makes me distraught to think that people are so distraught about it or so upset. But I also think a lot of it, I mean, while there's criticism and of course people have different things that they wish would happen or whatever, or, you know, another thing is, I mean, they wanted more episodes. They wanted it to be longer. I mean, we all did, of course, but it's part of, I don't ever want it to end, you know? And, I think when all is said and done and time passes, I think people look back and 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 see it as as what it is, which was a place that we all occupied, you know, creators, fan base, viewers. Um, we made we all made this together in some way. We all created this moment of this show, this experience. We all watched it week after week, and the creators, you know, we all put everything into it. And the viewers, you know, they did. They gave so much too. And I think it's 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 an experience we all kind of had together. And it is human nature to kind of um, sometimes balk at something that's ending. But 
Um, you know, I, for one, um, you know, I'm really feel incredibly grateful and blessed. And when people, when I hear from people that they found it at least to be satisfying, it makes me happy. And a lot of people do feel that. And so, you know, that makes me feel good. And for the rest, you don't feel that way. Now, I hope that you find comfort in it at some point when the sting wears off of it, not not ever being the sting again, because it's been a huge yeah. part of all our lives, you know? I, I mean, I really do hope that for people, because it is a, um, it's been a great gift, and it's a very particular moment in time, this kind of combination of the show and just what it is and, and technically what we've all achieved on it. I mean, there's a lot of things that have happened during the course of this that have created this moment. Um, so I hope that once people kind of get past it, I, I, I hope people, um, I don't know, I, I, I hope people find enjoyment of it, you know? Um, I don't think it's a question of are people enjoying this. It's just you can't please everyone. And I don't think yeah. that was, I would definitely say no one else can carry the title of Mother Dragons. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's I'm like I'm sure. like third in line. <laughs> All right, you're third in line. I'm a handmaid to the mother, yeah, yeah. the true mama, you know. All right, but fair I, enough. I've, I've definitely um, I've definitely been very honored to participate in that. Definitely, you know, for sure. So for both of you, um, now that this season is and this show is winded down, uh, I can imagine that there's going to be considerations. There, there's already talks about what's next. There's other things. Oh, I'm not. I'm not curious to say what is next, but if you were given the opportunity, would you want to go back to the world of Game of Thrones? Personally, I'm open to whatever. I mean, I'm, I, you know, you know, I don't want to be selfish and say I hope for another. Uh, you know, I do, I do. I hope, I, I, I hope to be able to work on another show that has this wonderful a group and, and an environment for creating as we had on this, you know, it's like, I just want to continue to make great work with great people. That's all, you know, and, 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 you know, um, whatever comes I'm, I'm open to, I mean, it's, there's a lot of things on the horizon, you know, fantasy genre is the new pool. And, and that's something that I love. I mean, it's a playground that I love to play in. So I'm, you know, looking forward to opportunities to continue to, you know, work and have fun with cool people and tell awesome stories, you know? So whatever, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Tim, yeah. You, ever you tra did you have another project that you transitioned to right after this wrapped or do you have a little break? Um, I mean, I'm helping somebody else with a project that, cause it's now, cause it pushed and it overlapped with another one of their projects. So I'm just kind of you know, kind of part time helping on that as needed. And then, you know, I've got a summer show coming up. But yeah, you know, Paula and I are talking about, you know, another show in the hopefully not too distant future that we'd like to work on together um, with some producers we worked with before. Um, you know, there's there's some things on the horizon that we're working on so that we can get, you know, as they say, get the band back together. Uh, yeah. You know, we all, I feel we all work together really well. We all enjoy working together. So we're, trying to make that happen as soon as possible. That's awesome. Well, Tim and Paula, thank you guys so much for taking the time to elegantly wrap up a life. It feels like a, a lifetime. It's been such an incredible ride and such an amazing journey for the fans and for people out there who loves the, you know, the sound work that you're doing. I just want to thank you guys for all the time and effort because I think it really sets the bar for what, what's possible, especially when it comes to what's possible on TV and streaming. So. I hope you guys know that there's a lot of happy people out there. <laughs> uh, we've we've heard we've heard lots of good things, and you know, thank you for having us on here. It's always it's always fun to talk about it, especially when we can get you know Paul and I together talking. It's always good. It's fun talking. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening to my chat with the sound team of Game of Thrones. You can hear more conversations with sound designers, composers, and directors on the Soundworks Collection podcast on iTunes and streaming online at SoundworksCollection.com. If you have a story you'd love to share with us, please send us an email at info at soundworkscollection.com. Talk to you soon.